Welcome to the Bentonville Beacon, where we bring you success stories from business leaders and owners about their triumphs and growth in the Bentonville and Northwest Arkansas community. You'll hear about how Bentonville has been the backdrop for incredible growth, not only for businesses and their employees, but in their personal lives as well. Tune in, subscribe, and enjoy hearing about Bentonville, where you get more of what you want and less of what you don't. Welcome back to the Bentonville Beacon Podcast, where we're sharing stories and advice from the leaders sparking the rise of Bentonville, one of the fastest growing and most dynamic cities in the United States, nestled in the Ozark Mountains of Northwest Arkansas and the heartland of America. Hey, I'm your host, James, and I am thrilled to share the studio today with Jared Smith, who is president and CEO of Kite String Technical Services. Jared is also a board member of Stopwatch, another local tech firm whose name you might recognize since uh, Megan Kenneth Bowman was on the show a few weeks ago. And so, Jared, welcome to the hot seat. Well, thanks, James. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. Happy to be here. Thrilled you're here. Let's let's get started with one of my favorite questions, which right. is really, it's what's your story? Will, will you share with the audience? There's two things I want you to definitely share, and then okay. uh, everything else you share is, is up to you. And so, and those two things are, where did you grow up? And what brought you here to Bentonville? And then, you know, share anything you want. Personally okay, I'll, I'll give the whole story. Um, cool. I was born in Monroe, Louisiana, but eight, nine years old, I moved to Little Rock, Arkansas. So lived in Little Rock until I graduated high school, Central, Little Rock Central. Mm-hmm. So go Tigers. Um, and then I was certainly not a strong student. I was probably a straight D student. I, I was not academically oriented. I tend to think I was probably just bored and not challenged. So I was not college bound, at least not immediately. So I essentially set off traveling the moment I graduated high school. I was ready to go to Arkansas, see the world. So I think the within a week of graduating high school, I was hitchhiking to California, spent two years hitchhiking, hopping freight trains all over the country. And so it really was just kind of sowing my oats and having fun and getting around. But ultimately kind of grew a little tired of that and decided I needed to settle somewhere. I had some friends from, from Little Rock in Portland, Oregon, and settled there. It was just a, chase, a place to choose. And then uh, enrolled in college there at Portland State. Obviously, from my grades, I wasn't, you know, I, I was mm-hmm. on academic suspension. But ultimately, college appealed to me. I did really well in college. I majored in chemistry, graduated with a 4.0, and continued to pursue chemistry and took a job with the Department of Energy down in the Bay Area. So I worked for the Department of Energy at Sandia National Lab in Livermore, California for one year, and then pursued my PhD at Berkeley for about four or five years after that, and then took another job at the Department of Energy at Berkeley National Lab and spent maybe four years there as a, as a postdoctorate associate. And so around this time, my parents were, at this point, they left Little Rock and moved up to Rogers, and, or Northwest Arkansas, started calling and saying, would I be interested in moving back to Arkansas to take over the family business? Hmm. So, and the the first response was not a chance. I'm not moving back to Arkansas. We had been, I'd been in the Bay area, mostly in Oakland and Berkeley for 10 years at that point. And moving back to Arkansas seemed like a step backwards. Sure. But ultimately after a year of looking at homes, me and my wife were starting to look at homes and homes are pretty expensive in San Francisco Bay area. Started thinking maybe Arkansas is not such a bad choice. And uh, so my dad had a little consulting company 
called LJ Smith and Associates. He had, uh, I think, maybe 10 or so employees, and they were building software in the retail technology space. And, you know, I built enough software as a scientist that I, I knew the basics and could learn the rest. So came home and came back to Arkansas, at least, in Northwest Arkansas in 2010 to start building essentially mobile apps, um, software in the retail tech space. And uh, that's what brought me back and brought me here and kind of how I ended up where I am today. You threw, that was a great story. I love it. You <laughs> threw me when you said you were a straight D student because all I could think of in the back of my mind was, okay, I can't wait to hear how he got to Berkeley. <laughs> I did very well in college and I, I, I published a lot of papers and then worked a lot as a, so at Sandia National Lab that helped my, my, I was at the combustion research, National Combustion Research Facility, got a lot of stuff done. So I think I sort of Proved myself after high school. <laughs> yeah, Luckily, they don't wonderful. look at high school transcripts. <laughs> yeah, thank goodness, right? All right, well, congratulations, Dr. Smith. Oh, thank you. If your closest friend were to describe you in four words, what would that be? Oh, gosh, I did see this in this morning, so let me, let me think here. Probably pragmatic would be almost anyone who knows me pragmatic. I, I, I'm really sort of about, you know, I'm not too emotional about anything. I, I'm, I'm always looking for the practical solution, I would say. I'm, oh gosh, let me, let me think here. I, this is going to sound a little aggrandizing, but self-aggrandizing, but um, I would say generous. I feel like that's something that would describe me. And then not thinking of any other. <laughs> right Two now. is good enough. Those are pretty strong though, right? But, um, so, yeah. But I think another one maybe is decisive. Um, so pragmatic and decisive, I, I really feel like go together and really makes mm -hmm. me okay at my job because a lot of times you got to make decisions when you're running a company that you you don't have all the information. Like there's a lot of variables that you you won't necessarily have all the information or consider. They're gonna change, things are going to change in the future, and you just got to be able to unlimited information make decisions. So I think I've gotten good at just making decisions. That's great. I love that you said okay at my job. And then <laughs> you just admitted it right because it's hard to lead companies. It is really hard. You don't have all the information that you need and. You just never know if that's going to be the right decision for sure. And so it's okay to admit, okay, I love that. Talk about KiteStream. Could you start with who you serve, what the problem is that you solve, and how sure, you do sure. it? Sure, We're a technology services firm. It's in the name. That means we're, we're building software typically. I'll talk about the th three or four different service offerings we have. So a um, big one is uh, what we call strategic consulting, where we're going to help maybe at the CIO or executive level for them to sort of roadmap their technology. We're also going to do implementation work, which we call co-engineering. We're actually, you know, hands-on keyboards, building software for a customer. We do uh, another service offering called durable product teams, which is kind of a, we, we build a whole essentially scrum team or, or, or software development team as, as, a, as, a, as a pod, and, and we'll sort of farm that out to help our customers. And then we also just do what we call custom software development. And that's kind of more of a managed outcome engagement where someone hands us a problem and we go build, this, build some software and hand it back to them. So those are forming things. But really what we're doing, in, in essence, is helping our customers solve hard problems. And that's what we do. And we bring in knowledgeable people. I mean, we are Currently, there's 180 kite stringers, or maybe 185, somewhere, we're somewhere 180, 185 today. Really smart people dedicated to solving really hard problems. 
And a lot of our customers, which are anywhere from, we have, I think, four or five startups as customers to the world's largest company as a customer. Mm-hmm. And mostly their challenge is they're trying to solve hard problems in technology and they don't necessarily have the, the bandwidth, the people or something to do it themselves. So they, it might maybe they want to focus on being a, a retailer or they want to focus on doing something else. So they might bring us in to help do a specific task for them in the technology space. That makes sense. So you've been at uh, Lead Kite Stream for what, 11 years? Well, I started Kite Stream in July of 2010. Okay. So that means I, I've been with the company, obviously, and I became CEO, I believe, in 2012. So 10 years here. Cool. All right. So brag on yourself for a moment and on your team. Talk about your achievements during your tenure so far and what stands out as your proudest moments. Well, maybe that's the same thing. Maybe it's not. Let me think about that. So a couple things. And, you know, one, just the obvious achievement is came into a company with 14 employees. And mm-hmm. as I just said, we're, we're 180 strong today. We're working out of five countries. We have in, in employees in 15 different, sorry, we have employees in, I think, 30 different states, customers in 15 different states. And just it's, it's become, it's, 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 a, it's bigger than I ever imagined, you know, when we started with 14 employees. So just the growth, I feel really proud about. In addition, I think what really gets me up, gets me excited about doing this is creating a great place to work. Like that's what's, I think, exciting and satisfying to me is not just, you know, it's not about, I mean, I I, I get excited about technology, you know, uh, the money, the whatever, it's all good. But building a place that people want to work is really what I think motivates me more than almost anything. And I'll say something that's just, you know, recent in the last few months, we do an annual survey of great place to work. It's a, you know, mm-hmm. essentially an anonymous survey to all the employees and they can say how good of a place it is for cushing and they get to do it completely anonymously. And our last survey that came out just uh, maybe a couple of months ago, we, for the first time, got a hundred percent. Wow. Um, great place to work. So 100% of our employees said we are a great place to work, which was a really proud moment for me and for my team. <laughs> I'll, I'll brag on Sapna Ramachandran, who's mm-hmm. on the board at the at the chamber. She's our head of uh, culture and talent talent experience, and she's done a, just a fantastic job of helping me and everyone else build a great culture there, or a place that people really want to work. And that's that's very cool. A hundred, well, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, we were we were doing good continues. before. We were in the ninety five to ninety seven percent, and we felt really good about that. And we even said, I don't know if we can improve on that. When we went into this year, but we did, <laughs> so we, we definitely can't improve on a hundred. So we've kind of hit our ceiling, I think, but it's yeah. exciting. That's a good ceiling to hit. That's phenomenal. Well, I hope this next question is okay to ask because I'm not sure achievements are truly achievements if they're not a bit of a struggle, right? There's always some sort of bumps in the road or genuinely hard work to be done. So what are some of the challenges that the company's faced in the past 10 years and how has, how have you overcome them? Oh my gosh, that's a, I could go on for the, about the challenges, <laughs> probably longer than I can go out, go on about the achievements for sure. Cause there's a million of them. And I mean, it's, it's barely a week goes by or even a day goes by that I'm not sitting with my executive team saying running a company, meaning the, the collective us running a mm-hmm. company is really hard. There's a lot of things to think about. You got to think about the 401k. You got to think about the payroll. You got to think, there's this, so many things you got to think about. And as our company gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and we have more employees, more countries, there's just more and more challenges. So it's, it, it's just gets, there's a lot of moving parts. It gets really difficult. 
But one thing, you know, I think that's been a theme throughout my career is that I really sort of gravitate to hard problems. And it used to be technology. And I realized now as I moved into a leadership role that that hard problem I gravitate is solving these challenges of just running a company, a mid-sized company with 180 people. And it, it's, it's really exciting to do, but it, it's not for everyone. It's, it can be difficult. Beyond that, just the day-to-day grind of sort of doing this, I would say another th- challenge was probably, I think, three years after I started at Kaiserstring and maybe a year after I took the reins as CEO, I had a stroke. Mm. And that was pretty darn tough. I couldn't see. I was in a wheelchair. So I, w- I was lost a lot of sort of my, you know, I couldn't see a computer screen, which was at the time mm-hmm. I was still coding. So that was a, I was out of commission for about six months, you know, doing therapy and things like that. So I was have recovered most for the most part, but uh, that was a, a pretty serious challenge. We saw a really clear drop in revenue and, you know, things were not, were going the wrong way because I was just, you know, gone, you know, and focused on other things. And uh, seeing that, you know, finally just through recovery, I was able to get back into the workplace after about six months and we started to pick back up. And, you know, it it feels good in a way to see those challenges and get through them. And then you're able to get through a downturn. You know, our revenue Mm -hmm. went down, our employee headcount went down and you're able to get it pulled back up. Just, you know, getting through it makes you feel good that you can take on any challenge that's coming that you haven't seen yet. Yeah, that's a, a pretty strong challenge. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm afflicted this, with this problem of liking hard challenges or problems myself. And I feel like to get through hard challenges, I was making myself a note a moment ago, it, it sort of takes a combo of being impatient and playing the long game at the same time. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, and I love it. Grinding through it. That's exactly right. How did uh, COVID affect the company, if at all? It did. Uh, it was really hard. <laughs> I mean, it, it, there's a lot of fear. You're, you know, honestly, back March 2020, thinking, I mean, I was at some point talking to my wife saying, I don't know how we make this. I don't know how we survived this. You know, like our customers are all heading for the exits. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody was sort of locking down, but ultimately PPP loan helped. We were able to, you know, we had run a pretty lean ship before that. So I'm able to, you know, we had a strong balance sheet. We had uh, some really good customers that were that stuck with us even during the sort of the tough times. So ultimately, what ended up happening is our growth trajectory slowed down quite a bit, and we're just now, probably in the last five months, beginning to eclipse where we were sort of pre-COVID. You know, mm-hmm. on the, get back on that same you know rise rate that we were on previously. So it was a disruption, but we got through it. And, and ultimately it wasn't, we didn't have to do any layoffs or anything like that. So I was excited that we didn't, you know, I know it affected other companies much worse than it did us. Yeah. It sounds like you've really built a sustainable company so that when that happened, that put you in not a perfect position, right? But a, a yeah. good position. Well, I mean, sustainable, I think is exactly the right word. I, I you know, I, my goal is to build a company that lasts for 50, 100, literally 50 years, 100 years. That's, I, I think about, I'm, I'm only 47, but I think about legacy a lot. And I would love to leave something that's bigger than me and build something that's bigger than me. I think that's part of what motivates me. And a company that's what I call, well, you know, there's a whole group of us that I, I, I know of other CEOs like this that are evergreen CEOs, meaning we're, we're evergreen companies versus, say, exit-focused companies. We're mm-hmm. building companies for the long haul. You know, I would love my kids to come work for my company at some some point. 
And, you know, my, my father started the company and I've taken over and I would like this to keep going. And so when you're, when you're doing that, when you have this really long perspective, I'm building a company for another decade, it's, it's a little easier to absorb these challenges as they come because you'll see a lot of them. You bet. Well, I love that you're building a, an evergreen company. This will smart. I think a lot of tech companies right now <laughs> over the next, what, 18 to 24 months are going to find out, you know, how their growth strategies are going to play out. <laughs> Yeah, there's no, I, I would say, I would just say I have nothing against the, say, venture or private equity models that mm-hmm. most tech companies, but kind of gets all of the press these days. You know, is the, is the venture back, you know, and people building companies that are evergreen, sort of companies built to last, it doesn't get a lot of press, but I think it's a, it's still a, a I think an option that people should consider when starting a company, which is, let's say, boot, you know, how do you bootstrap a company? It, it's much easier when you're in the services than you are in, in, in software. Mm-hmm. Then you gotta, it, it definitely costs some money to, to build your product. But if you're doing services over, over products, you, you have an opportunity for sure to bootstrap your company. And, and you're not reliant on the, you know, a venture fund or a private equity fund has a timeline to it. And, and right. it's not necessarily the right timeline for your business or your customers. And when you're an evergreen company, you really get to determine the timeline that's right for your employees, your customers, your shareholders, you know, that sort of thing, and not a venture fund or a, or a private equity fund. Yeah, you betcha. I love that. I also love that you said you're, you're building, you know, a lasting company that you want to leave a legacy. And that's kind of where I'm at now, too, is how do I leave a legacy, right? And we came here to, to Bentonville. I don't think I told you. Got married three and a half years ago. We had a baby two and a half years ago, height of the lockdown. A little bit late wow. for us to be doing this kind of stuff. But, you know, now I get to do my tiny part. And maybe it's not legacy material yet, but I get to do my tiny part to help build and grow a place where uh, my son can grow up and perhaps siblings of his and be a place that he's more than willing to remain in or leave and come back, which is absolutely fine and would want to come back to, but, you know, just be part of this sort of this amazing thing that's happening here uh, in Bentonville. Absolutely. So within the essentially central mission of Kitering, like in our mission statement is, you know, community is important to us. Mm-hmm. You know, I, th- I think our mission statement is to share in our, our knowledge to positively impact our customers, our employees, actually we say employees, customers, and community. And we nice. intentionally put employees first, customers, and then community. Because I think having an impact on your community, businesses, obviously, there's some big businesses here that have had a tremendous impact mm-hmm. on the local community. And I think for-profit businesses are often the, the biggest drivers of that, you know, making a community a great place to live. And I want to be part of that. And I'm excited that Kaisering gets to play a small role. Yeah, you bet. Well, you uh, touched on my my next question when you introduced the concept of the employee coming first, really. And that is that uh, it seems like a core principle at KiteString is happy consultant, happy client. Yes. So how do you attract employees, especially these days, and keep them happy and keep them from sort of bugging out to that grass that's supposedly greener on the other side, whatever that is? It's challenging. I mean, I'll just say it's, it's, it is challenging and we haven't totally figured it out, especially in technology. There's, a, there's, you know, they, they talk about, you know, in the broader economic, you know, landscape of the United States, there's something like two openings for every job seeker. But in mm-hmm. technology, that might be between four and six job openings for every job seeker. So 
it's a it's a tough landscape when there's a lot of jobs, you know, and and it's 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 very difficult to be the say the highest salary in the United States. I you know I, I don't have the the capital structure to be that person, so you got to find other ways besides just paying people as as much as you can. You got to find ways, and I've always leaned into, and we as a company lean into having a great culture, being inclusive, sort of ha- having people participate in many different sort of company events that are hopefully ones that they enjoy and, and they, you know, and they're, we're all over the place. So many of them are virtual, some of them are in person and bringing us together to, to a way where we, I think, hopefully care about each other and supporting each other is a way I think we, we get people to, to think about it maybe a little bit more than just a job and that it may be they get some fulfillment or purpose out of that job. And I think that's the key to keeping people and your company is where it's more than just a paycheck. It's got to be something that they get real fulfillment out of, mm-hmm. real joy out of. And I think that fulfillment and joy is going to come from the work they do, but also the people they work with, the people they're working alongside. So the the, con- the concept of happy consultant, happy customer was when it, early on, when I first sort of stepped into the role, I, I realized I needed to kind of think about what differentiates KiteString. You know, what are we doing? And I'd spent years... When I first got here, I was it was still KiteString, but I was working mostly with IBM. So I was kind of under mm-hmm. the IBM umbrella and working for a very large consulting firm, you know, doing doing work for, you know, obviously a big company here in town. And uh, ultimately, uh, the, the, the problem felt like it was just a commodity, like finding finding butts and putting them in the seats. That was mm-hmm. the that was the thing. And I was like, well, how can I compete with an IBM or how can I keep with the Accentures or Cognizance and the big, there's a lot of big companies out there. And what do I do different? I said, you know, well, if we really truly put the employee first, they're going to go to bat for our customers. And then those customers will feel that difference. They'll recognize that difference. So it started from the beginning of saying, you know, happy consultant or happy employee leads to a happy client. And it's, it's really paid off for us. I think our customers recognize the difference that a kite stringer brings to their team because I think they're excited about what they're doing and they're excited about the company they work for. Yeah, it brings a, it'll bring a, a certain level of passion that, you know, look, when you're happy, yeah, life we, is better, period, so, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Right before I came here, I was on a, we had an employee ERG today. So this is something that the the culture and, and talent um, team s- sets up. And we were really talking about our career paths in, in tech. And so there's literally, you know, we just get a few, a small group together and we kind of talk about something. We had 37 people on and they were from all different backgrounds. We had just, it was such a variety, great variety of people. And we just had this really engaged discussion about where we had been throughout our career. And, and it just felt like, at least I felt that everybody was really excited to be there. You're really, you know, excited to talk to their, you know, their fellow employees or, you know, their fellow people on their teams or, or people on other teams. And that, I think that's the main thing that KiteStream does well. And, and how we're able to keep retention, as, as, you know, and we still struggle with retention, you know, like everybody does. But I think we're able to do a pretty good job by having a, a great culture that people want to be a part of. That's really cool. So I, I guess arguably you're not in the technology business, you're in the people business, and you happen to do a technology really darn well and people pay you for it. Well, I, my, my, view, my view is if I run a pizza shop, I run a gas station. I run a Fortune 500 technology firm. I'm in the people business. It's all people. We're people interacting with our customers. We're people interacting with each other. And we're people interacting with our vendors and our community. So ultimately, I think it's all people. 
And I say this constantly at work. It's, it's all about people. And this is what, to me, is really exciting about running a company is, you know, and, and almost anyone who's, who's run a large company will tell you it, it's the people problems that, you, that are more challenging than anything else. It's how you, how you guys are getting along, how you're interacting with your customers. And whether you're selling a product to your customer or whether you're selling a service to your customer, they're going to often buy that product mm-hmm. or service from you based on how they're interacting, whether it's a positive interaction with you. So I think it's always the people business. But you're absolutely right. Excellent. We're in the people business, but I think everybody's in the people business. Sure. So, okay, if I understand right, you've scaled Kite String from 14 to about 185 employees. And I feel like you've answered a lot of this next question I have here, but I'm going to ask you anyway, because I want to see if you can sure. summarize or add anything that, that, that you want that's been missed. But, you know, a smart person once told me that hard things happen at sort of factors of three and 10 going from those three core employees or founders to 10 employees, 10 employees to 30 employees to 100 employees, that these become these sort of giant steps that are so much harder. I don't know how those numbers exactly apply to Kite String, but for founders and CEOs that might be out there listening who are starting to scale their companies or scaling them, what should they be thinking about regarding how they're going to successfully increase their headcount and do it in a sustainable way, somehow have happy employees too, and therefore really treat their customers well and serve them? First advice I do is care about culture early. You, you know, there's no, it's too soon to really hire that head, of, you know, assign someone whose job it is. If it's not, maybe it's going to be the CEO in the beginning, but it's someone's job to make it a great place to work, to, to really think about culture. Culture is an intentional creation of a company. And if it, if it's if no one tends to the culture, it will create its own, and it could be a bad one. So you can be really intentional about culture. I think that's, but also I think you're right. Getting you know the early days of the company, getting from say ten to twenty, felt difficult. But I had no idea what was hard. I had no idea what was hard until mm-hmm. you start getting to the hundred, hundred and fifty, and then now you start to see. And there's a there's a great book by Doug Tatum. I think he's a, a University of Texas business school. It's a business book about companies trying to break through, he, he often calls it going from, say, a, a small company to a mid-sized company or a mid-sized company. And he often says there's this no man's land. Hmm. And there's a zone. And he said that's in the, you know, maybe 200 employees, 25 to 50 million in revenue. This is ex- exactly where KiteString is. We're kind of in that range where you get, it's really hard to break through. And the vast majority of companies don't break through to begin to scale really into hundreds of employees and and and. and hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue. It's a really difficult thing. So, mm-hmm. so ultimately I have not solved that yet. We're still getting, you know, we're, we're kind of getting near 200 and we've been getting near 200 for a little while now. We're still trying to figure it out, but it's really about, you start to have to be, I always think to get to a company with say 50 or hundred employees, you can do it with just being smart and working really dang hard. Mm-hmm. But, but once you get above that, at some point you had to really figure out process and be better at process and have really smart people around you who are also working on process. And it's repeatable and you can do over and over and over. And that's what we're really getting a hold of now, I think, at Kutchering, is, is getting those processes in place and having the right leaders where we're all kind of driving towards the same goals and have some good process in place where we can begin to scale the system bigger and bigger and bigger. We always kind of say we, what we've done at Kutchering over the last few years is build an engine to get us to, you know, now we're ready to launch. So, I mean, we're... we're, we're sizable, you know, now mm-hmm. at 185, but we have ambition to get much, much bigger than we are. 
And a lot of that's getting a lot of pieces and parts in place and ready to do that. Yeah, you bet. It's like there's this chasm and you have to build a bridge to get there. And it just takes a long time to build a, yeah. a good quality bridge that's going to stand up to the test yeah. of time. I know a lot of companies that get kind of where I am and you kind of, you, you spend some time there. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, ultimately you're going to do one of two things. You're going to finally scale beyond or you're going to begin to shrink. And, you know, we're, we're really starting to scale now, but it's, it's a hard problem to solve. So, you know, and, and you, you, you're going to spend some time in this sort of no man's land, I think, where you're, you're hundred and something, maybe 200 employees, but you're not really like scaling to thousands of employees. And, you know, that's kind of where the problems we're trying to solve right now. Got it. So, yeah, I mean, one more question before we start making a turn in a slightly different direction. Um, Jared, I was, I was trolling KiteString's website and I hit the news link and, you know, on most websites, when you hit the news link, what you see are these stories about the company, right? Promoting its products, what we did last week sometimes employees and something spectacular that they did, especially if it, you know, is good PR and credibility for the company. But I'll say not so for Kite String in terms of what I saw. Yes, those stories are there. But what's vastly more prominent on Yost News Link is these sort of mini stories and interviews of your employees, these spotlights. And it's just one story after another. And infrequently, you have the stories about the company. And I thought that was pretty cool because and smart, you know, because people want recognition and they want to be known. And I feel like Kite Street has found a slightly different way there of giving them recognition to be known and, and heard. And I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, you're right on the money there. So I think recognition, I mean, I've talked about culture a lot here and building a great culture. A part of great culture is recognition. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants some recognition. Yeah. And I think recognizing employees in a public way on our website, on LinkedIn and other social media channels that we do is, is a way to sort of call out the great work they're doing for us. And it's it, it just it, it's it's kind of core to our values of, of being people first. Because honestly, as a consulting firm, you could just say, you know, people are our product. Mm-hmm. So if people are our product, People need to come first, right? Yeah. We need it, so we need to put people on a pedestal and make sure they're they feel recognized and they feel heard and they feel included and all those sort of things that that we try and do. And I think just having the focus on employee spotlights, it's it's where we get to actually some of the most traction. You know, when we see like specific content we we put mm-hmm. out that gets the most traction, it's almost always the employee spotlights. That is very people cool. like to hear about what people are, what, what their either their co-employees are up to, what their old friends are up to, or, and just whatever. So does really get a lot of traction. That's really neat. Okay, starting a little transition here. You know, Kite Stream's based right here in, in Bendeville. Do you find that as a, a hindrance or an advantage in building and growing your company and hiring employees? Absolutely an advantage, no doubt. We are, most of our employees, I mean, our customers are all over the place. I mean, we have some core customers here, right here in Northwest Arkansas, for sure. And we have plenty of employees working with them, but we have employees in over 30 states, you know, doing different things. But I think about 50% or so of our total headcount is in Northwest Arkansas. And it's, you know, and, and now that we're kind of moving away from the pandemic and we're starting to at least work about half of our time back in the office again, we're, we're, we're getting a little more focused on, mm-hmm. on hiring. And my gosh, so when I moved here in 2010, I was, you know, early on, you know, I was recruiting, recruiting staff here and it was, it was very difficult to convince someone to move to 
Nowheresville, Arkansas. That's what mm-hmm. I felt like I was doing. And, you know, there was, I, people would come for a visit and they would realize there wasn't even hardly a restaurant in, in town beside the big chain restaurants. So that has become exponentially easier now. I, I would love people to come visit because there's so many things for them to see. I encourage them to hit the trails, to get out to the restaurants. And there's, you know, it's just such much, it's much more vibrant place than it was you know, even five years ago, but much less 10 years ago and 12 years ago when I was early days. So it's gotten a lot easier to recruit people, but also there's a lot of people that were not necessarily moving here that I'm just hiring talent that already lives here. And there's a lot of great talented people living in Bentonville that have a, a ton of great experience that have worked for some of the big companies here. So there's a good talent pool that, and that's really, I feel like gotten better and better and better over the years. Awesome. That's very cool. I, I love what you said about, you know, 2010 and chain mm-hmm. restaurants. It's funny that you know, I've been here for two years and my observation has been, wow, we don't have very many chain restaurants. That tells you how far it's come. Yeah, it was only chain restaurants. So there was Restaurant Row, which was over on the other side of the freeway and kind of near Rogers. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was technically in Rogers, but on on, on Walnut Street or Walnut, something like yeah. that. But there were like six restaurants there, eight restaurants there, all chain restaurants. And that was kind of where we went to dinner. And it was yeah. like, I mean, it would, on a Friday night, it was like an hour long line to get into <laughs> uh, like an Applebee's or something like that. And, and just, I mean, I don't even know if there's a restaurant, there's no, I haven't gone over to Restaurant Row over there yeah. in years because there's, you know, all the great stuff in the square and a million other options in terms of restaurants and things to do. So it's really just exploded. Yeah. I, I think there's a Red Robin over there and then, oh, yeah. you know, the typical what, Chick-fil-A and Sonic and so on. But not much going on there. And then, gosh, you're getting into town now and there's so many amazing restaurants. But, you know, like many people, you came to Bentonville and, and you didn't leave. But what is it, and I think you've talked to some of it, but what is it about this place that makes it a compelling place to be home and for people to have, I'll call it that mythical work-life balance, if that's even real. And I'll twist the question one more time to get there's. How does living and working in the Bentonville area help you live the life that you deserve? I think I would probably. So I live in downtown Bentonville, mm-hmm. and my office is probably a, a fifteen-minute walk, and, my, and a, yeah. a, a maybe I think a six-minute bike ride. And there's restaurants, there's coffee, there's Onyx Coffee, so I can do everything. My going to work, I can be home, I can go to restaurants, I can go to, I can do all this without without. Get, even getting in a car, I can like walk around or get on my bike. Great place to be biking, obviously. And I think that just that sort of sense of community where you can do everything and in, 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 like kind of create your world all in one one sort mm-hmm. of small place. And you've got everything you want, like the library, the the restaurants. That and it just feels really to me. The number of people I know, like when I'm out walking or riding my bike, I, you you do tend to know a lot of people around here and. Yeah. And you can do all that in, in sort of one place and be able to get between my work and my office on a bicycle in seven minutes is a big game changer. I used to, in, in the Bay Area, it was it was normally about 50 minutes. And I lived in right in the middle of the city in the Bay Area. So, And I was still at a 50-minute commute to work. And now I can get to work in seven minutes on a bike, and it's a really enjoyable bike ride. And it's, so there's, there's a lot that I, I think just having that sort of access to everything really quickly. And then we can go do bike rides at lunch, um, things mm-hmm. like that. Make it where having just access, quick access, I think would be the way I'd, I'd put it is the big advantage here. Yeah, you bet. I mean, short of having not very 
long distances, pretty much all of that didn't exist, uh, I guess, (laughs) a a little over a decade ago. You've seen some change. Uh, Uh You've described some of it. How else has Bentonville evolved and changed over that time? Well, so when we, I remember when I first moved here, 2010, we rented a home in Bentonville, kind of right off central near the interstate. Mm -hmm. And uh, literally first night, my, uh, so we moved here from obviously the Bay Area my wife said, I, I'm going to run to the grocery store, get a few things. You know, we just, we just arrived. Our, our furniture was, was ahead of us, I think, or, you know, on a, on a, a moving truck. And, uh, so we we're just going to get some food for the evening. And she came back in tears and, uh, she's like, all the vegetables are shrink wrapped. <laughs> <laughs> like, so, so just, there was not organic vegetables. There wasn't, you know, it was just this, it was, there was just, it was just felt like a small town that nothing was mm-hmm. happening in then. And now, I mean, the the selection of, you know, we, we live right beside the neighborhood market in, in downtown, which, but we have a lot of different choices of, of food, of fresh ingredients, of the farmer's market, like all the, all these sort of things that at first felt really, I mean, there's a lot of tears in those early days of what have I done? You know, especially my wife is, you know, where have you taken me? <laughs> and, but ultimately, I, I think now it's, it's uh, we're, I, I couldn't, I couldn't overstate how happy we are to be here now. That's cool. What do you feel like are some of the, the factors behind sort of this remarkable growth and evolution of Bentonville? Probably the biggest one would be, I would just say investment. Obviously, investments from the big three, um, mm-hmm. you know, and because pe- when people care, uh, obviously, I think the, the I, I, don't, I, I don't have any background here or anything, but I think the Walton family, mm-hmm. um, Walmart and others are really investing in having a, a, a bikeable place uh, a really great place to live i know you know different restaurants are being open to make this a place where i I, you know ultimately if you can attract talent you can build your company like that's that's a a core piece of you know it's really hard to build a big company in the middle of nowhere you need to have this infrastructure of you know accessible things that people want to do whether those are restaurants bike trails or so i think it's really just come down to an intentional very intentional investment on the part of, you know, either the city, the, 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 you know, the chamber, the, the families, all that, that has brought Bentonville to where it is today. Yeah, It, you it feels at this point, super smart. Like, it, like the, this is intentional and we got to get, we got to make this place somewhere people really want to live. And that's how we're going to attract the talent we need to go do the things we want to do as a company. Yeah, it has been quite intentional, uh, it seems, and I can't wait to see what the next 10 years hold. I know we're, we're running short on time, so I'm going to ask you this next question as sort of a, a quick answer question. That's a two-part question. Did you ever think Walmart was going to build a new home office, and what do you think of that magnificent new campus that they're building? Well, the first part, I don't, I don't know if I really thought of it, <laughs> you know, I, but when, I, when, I, when they announced it, I was pretty surprised, but... Frankly, I was very happy. The reason why is to know that I think there's some confidence we probably all get by having Walmart here in town. Yeah. And in in knowing that that level of investment is happening here in Bentonville is, is a little bit of a warm security blanket, you got to say. You know, you, you, you're, because clearly they're doubling down on the city of Bentonville and mm-hmm. Northwest Arkansas in general. So I think I was really excited. Now, obviously the plans look amazing and I'm really excited to, to see it and go, 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 um, sort of explore it. But I think ultimately it tells me this is a, a real long-term investment in, in, in the city, in Bentonville and in the region. 
and it's going to pay, you know, pay dividends to the region for many, many years to come. I mean, we haven't even begun to see how, you know, we talk about, you said two years ago, things, how far they've come. I think in two years and four years from now, we're going to be saying, I can't believe how sleepy it was in 2022, because <laughs> once that campus opens, this is going to be really a world-class place, you know, and it's going to bring, you know, there's going to be more development around the campus, you know, more restaurants are going to start popping up and, you know, more people are going to be moving here. So I think you'll just continue to see this escalation of what we've seen over the last few years. Yeah, I think so. Okay, tell me a story. This is a hashtag because Bentonville story, in other words, you know, it's a moment even or, or story about something that happened where you went, gee, that's, that's hashtag because Bentonville, because maybe it could only happen here or describes the essence of this place. Okay. Let me think here. I, I think ultimately what I get really a lot out of from Bentonville is just the entrepreneurial community. There's a lot of entrepreneurs here. I, I know I'm friends with, whether it's, Michael from RevUnit, uh, Jeff from Jeff Clapper from Ethan Walton or Megan from Stonehenge. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot of great companies here and it doesn't feel competitive. It feels like everybody's kind of helping and su- supporting each other. And I really love that. But in terms of a, a moment, I'll describe one for you. So probably rewind to maybe 2013, 2014, I'm, I'm living here and I'm still writing code. I was doing a, a mobile app for a, a local large retailer. So I was building this mobile app and there's a web and mobile component to it. And we were using icons from a, a open source library called Fontawesome. And, you know, we always talked about how much we liked Fontawesome. And a lot of the engineers I had on my team were kind of sort of, you know, crowing about how great Fontawesome is. Flash forward to 2019, we we're having a crawfish boil in my driveway with my neighbor. So our neighbors have been doing this for years and we kind of joined in and we we're having a crawfish boil for the neighborhood. And, you know, sitting there eating crawfish and one of the neighbors walks up and I'm talking to him and he's like, oh, I live about a block away. He's like, what do you do? He's like, oh, I own a technology firm. I was like, really? What are you doing? He's like, I, I own a company called Fontawesome. So, you know, really, you know, a company I've been aware of, obviously, for probably, you know, eight years at that point. And Dave Candy, who now mm-hmm. you know, lives in my neighborhood and, and, and runs Fontawesome, founder and CEO, and has become a friend. It's, it just felt like a a, a, a real kind of moment to be like, oh, <laughs> a company I've been aware of for a year is literally living a block and a half from me. Yeah, and I think he re- relocated here from somewhere, Boston, Boston or somewhere East Coast. Boston, yeah. I believe, yeah. Yeah, very cool. That's a great story. Before I forget to ask, if somebody wants to know more about Kite String or perhaps goes, gosh, I got to be employed there or reach out to you, how do they do that? Well, our website, which is just www.kitestring.com. The easiest thing, luckily we have the KiteString domain, which took a little getting in the early days. You can get me at jared.smith at kitestring.com. But I think our our website or or me on on LinkedIn, you can find me on LinkedIn, is I'm I'm almost, I'm always happy to answer emails and sort of connect with people. It's kind of one of my favorite things about Bentonville is you, you, I'm doing it all the time. I'm just reaching out to you. It's very easy to, find the person in Bentonville that you might want to talk to about something and get a coffee mm-hmm. with them. There's, there's almost no barrier to this. This was not the case in the Bay Area. You know, if you wanted it, it was, it was quite hard. You had to go through three or four people and you still didn't get the coffee. But it's very easy to get a coffee with whoever you want here. So I, I like doing that. I like getting coffee with people. So someone reaches out to me. My email's the best way. Awesome. All right. So some closing questions. <laughs> Stole this one right out of your interview of your employees on your, your website. So when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? 
you know, I don't really have much of a memory of wanting to be anything besides for a while. I think when I was in junior high, I was interested in being a heart surgeon. Being because I, I, I was born with a heart defect. That's why I mentioned the stroke earlier. It was mm-hmm. related to my heart defect. So just kind of always knowing I've, I've had multiple heart surgeries over over the years, kind of sort of drew me towards. And then, you know, at some point in, in high school, I got more into science and technology and, and didn't pursue that. But that's the only thing I remember is, is wanting to be a heart surgeon. Cool. Another one I lifted straight off those interviews. What's the best professional advice you've ever received? Okay. Here, this is, I don't know if you'd call this advice, but I think it's really stuck with me. This is my, my PhD professor at Berkeley, really smart guy named Rich Shakley. So in my, my first year in, in your PhD program, you have to pick an advisor who's going to give you a, what's called a qualifying exam. It's a three-hour sort of brutal exam of, you know, you're in front of a whiteboard and they're just peppering you with questions. We all sort of knew everybody, all the kids, there's, you know, a hundred of us in our class, you know, of of PhD students knew you got to avoid this guy, Dave Chandler. That was just one of the, one of the professors. He's like, he's so hard. He just tears the students apart. He had this horrible reputation. And uh, so, you know, I, I, he was my statistical mechanics professor. So I, you know, I knew him. And he was really tough. I could tell just from that. So, I, you know, like everyone, I was avoiding him. But Rich comes to me probably a few weeks after joining his lab saying, you got to pick an advisor for your, your thesis committee and your, your, uh, your qualifying exam. And I want you to pick Dave Chandler. And I, <laughs> freaked. I was like, what? I've, all I've heard is this is the hardest guy in the department, you know. And he said, you know, he's, he, he's bragging like Berkeley a little bit here when he says this. But I, I think it's stuck with you. He said, you're in the NFL of chemistry, learn to take a hit. And that learn to take a hit part sort of stuck with me forever as advice is, you know, you're going to get beat up a lot, whatever you do, you're going to take some hits. And sort of, I think, and I went and, you know, I think it, the next day I went into Dave Chandler's office and asked him to be my advisor. And I think I was probably the only student who had actually asked this person to be his, his thesis advisor in a long, long time, if ever. And uh, it was, uh, turned out to be a great experience. He was a great advisor. He was tough, but he was, he was good. And it was kind of, led me to sort of go at challenges. And I think that's sort of how I respond at work is when I uh, feel like the t- going gets tough, I want to go to work an hour earlier. You know, like that's kind of, that's the way I sort of orient myself at work. And I feel like that's the best professional advice is to kind of just lean into the challenges. That's awesome. What's the best professional advice you've ever given? Well, you'd have to ask the, <laughs> we'll get any advice there, but, but I'll say what I, I, I believe, this is the advice I give often is take risk with your career. Don't be afraid to take risk. So many people, and I think this one thing, you know, not a negative on Bentonville, but certainly there's a lot of good jobs in this town, mm-hmm. a lot of good jobs. So, so people tend to gravitate towards well-paying, very safe jobs. And it's hard to get people out. We don't have the sort of tolerance for risk here that you might have in some other more entrepreneurial ecosystems like, like Silicon Valley and things like that. So when I'm talking to you, I always say, just take the risk. You're almost never going to regret it. Even if you fail at your, whatever you wanted to go do, your, your comfy, you know, corporate job is still there. Mm-hmm. You can always go back to it. So take risks. That's what I always say. It's when anyone asks me advice, that's probably my first thing is take risks with your career. You're rarely going to look back at your career at the end of it going, I took too many risks. It's usually the opposite. I should have taken more risks. I should have done things that are, are a little scary. That's, that's so true. I, I feel like I've been, as and I have this really winding career, but our professional uh, timeline, but the most fulfilling times have been the scariest 
yeah. times because they were the, the riskiest things that are pursued. What's one piece of professional advice that you think that people ought to stop giving? Oh, I don't know on that one. Probably I would, I'd probably go what we talked about earlier. You don't, you know, you have to raise money to start a company. I don't think that's true at all. I, I don't, even if you're doing a product company or a service company, you don't need to raise money. You can do it. There's many examples. There's, there's many pathways to, to building a company. And the common pathway that everybody sort of talks about these days is raising money mm-hmm. through a normal. And I don't think there, you can still do it the way our parents and grandparents did it, which was just, you know, by sort of elbow grease and hard work. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Last question. Okay. What's something I should have asked you that I did not ask? Why in the heck was I hopping freight trains? <laughs> <laughs> no. I'd love to know that answer. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't really know what uh, something we, I think, feel like we touched on most of the things that I really feel passionate about. It's, you know, to me, it's about people, culture, and, you know, making a great, you know, us and, and Kite Shrink's impact on community to make this a better place. Obviously, we don't have the impact as the, the big guys, but we're, we're doing our part. So I think we talked about most of the things that I felt like were, were important. Cool. I can't think of any glaring omissions. Well, I think everybody has a much bigger impact than they know. And so, Jared, thank you for spending time with me and with our Bentonville Beacon audience today. You know, I appreciate the peek behind the curtain you gave us, but this whole discussion about people as well and about how Bentonville uh, is, is helping you and your company thrive and just everything that we've had in the conversation. Thank you so much. Appreciate sure. it. Happy thanks to do for, it. Thanks for, your, uh, for giving to this community. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hey, thank you to our Bentonville Beacon audience. If you like what you heard, please do me a couple of favors. Uh, Will you share this episode by email or text or social media? And, you know, keep coming back to hear more about Bentonville and its leaders and businesses and this place where you can get more of what you want, less of what you don't. And as always, subscribe on your favorite podcast player and check out BentonvilleEconomicDevelopment.com where you can see all of our episodes and learn more. Thanks. See you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Bentonville Beacon Podcast. We hope to see you next week.